Welcome to The Thing About Austin, a podcast about Jane Austen's world. I'm Zan. And I'm Diane. And this episode, we're talking about Lizzie's needlework. We are so excited to have as our guest today, Dr. Jenny Batchelor. Jenny works and publishes in the long 18th century, focusing primarily on women's writing, authorship and anonymity, periodicals and women's magazines, representations of gender, work, sexuality, and the body, book history, material culture studies, and the 18th century charity movement. Jenny's long-standing interest in the history of fashion and material culture led to her curation of The Great Ladies Magazine Stitch-Off, a project for which people around the world recreated 11 rare surviving embroidery patterns from the Ladies Magazine for display at an exhibition to commemorate the 200th anniversary of the publication of Jane Austen's Emma at Chawton House Library. This research also led to the publication of a history craft crossover book, Jane Austen Embroidery, co-devised with Alison Larkin, which was published by Pavilion in the UK and Dover in the US in 2020. So a perfect guest for today's topic. Absolutely. Welcome, Jenny. Thank you so much. I'm really thrilled to be here. So excited to get to talk to you about this topic. But before we dive into it, let me kind of set the scene for us. Elizabeth has come to Netherfield to check in on Jane while she recovers from her cold. Jane is on the mend, so Lizzie joins the larger Netherfield group for their evening activities. She settles in to watch the others in the drawing room, and this is what we get from the text. Mr. Darcy was writing, and Miss Bingley, seated near him, was watching the progress of his letter and repeatedly calling off his attention by messages to his sister. Mr. Hurst and Mr. Bingley were at PK, and Mrs. Hurst was observing their game. Elizabeth took up some needlework and was sufficiently amused in attending to what passed between Darcy and his companion. So she's, she's settling in. This is, this is like watching Netflix. She's like, let's watch this drama unfold while I do my needlework. <laughs> I love that. So Jenny, I feel like this is sort of the obvious question, but can you just tell us a bit about what needlework means here? You know, what is Lizzie likely to be working on? I mean, is there a difference between needlework and what we might think of as everyday sewing in this particular context? Yeah, sure. So the novel is really kind of, well, coy, I guess. Like it doesn't, it doesn't tell us what Lizzie's working on. And Jane Austen's novels sometimes do tell us when characters are sewing what they're working on. You know, we know that Charlotte Palmer does her silk painting. There are, there are other moments where we get a clear sense of what they're doing. But you're right. I mean, in this case, we don't know what she's doing, except, of course, she's not in her own home, right? So presumably, this is work, as in needlework, that she has sent for along with her clothes from home to sort of sustain her, you know, during her stay at Netherfield. So we don't quite know, but I guess because it's gone with her, it can't be something on a massive frame, right? It can't be, it has to be portable. It's probably quite small, probably something decorative, but we're not entirely in, entirely sure what this thing is that she's doing. Partly because in this particular case, in this particular scene, I guess, 
a little bit inconsequential. It's more about the, the object itself. It's more about like what does working on it enable her to do and, and how she's able to observe what's going on around her. In other of moments in other novels by Jane Austen, needlework works a bit differently. But yeah, there's, a, there's absolutely a difference between different kinds of sewing in this period. So needlework is, is very much as it is now, right? A, a catch-all term. It encompasses so many diff- different kinds of needle craft, whether that's netting purses, which, you know, again, some characters in Austin's novels do, whether it's working on a sampler, whether it's embellishing clothing or household objects or gifts for people, or at the sort of other end of the scale, more utilitarian needlework, so darning or working on your household linen. So needlework, broadly speaking, there's kind of two main categories of needlework in this in this period and right through into the 19th century too. There's plain work and there's fancy work. So your plain work is you're looking after the household linen. It's Catherine Morland making or not making in Northanger Abbey her brother's cravat or Jane Austen making shirts for her brothers, which she talks about in her letters. So it's, it's more kind of functional or utilitarian and then the fancy work again it sort of encompasses a range of activities but this is more decorative so it's not work that you necessarily have to do it's work that makes things better that you can use to ornament your person to ornament your home to make gifts and so forth for other people so yeah the novel doesn't exactly tell us what she's working on in this instance it doesn't seem to be some kind of plain work that's not really the kind of thing you would expect to kind of get out in in this particular kind of social context but it's probably small i don't know maybe it's something like working on a pin cushion maybe it's decorating a handkerchief who knows maybe in her work bag she got an apron she was working on you know other heroines in other 18th century uh, and 19th century novels sometimes seen at work you know working floral designs on, a, on a, an apron for instance who knows it could be any of those things but in this particular instance jane austen chooses not to tell us but probably more likely that she, like you said, is doing some kind of fancy work or like embroidery versus darning somebody's socks, that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Decorative. And so, yeah, I don't think she's darning somebody's socks. <laughs> I mean, if darning somebody's socks, I think we'd have a very different kind of conversation going on in that room. At that, I don't think Caroline Bingley could have kept her mouth shut about Lizzie Bennett. would have that right. slide. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it seems, it seems like you would have this kind of specific project that you would take to social situations um, in some of these kinds of contexts. I mean, so I might be reading that wrong, but how does needlework fit within the parameters of ladylike accomplishments? And I'm kind of saying that with air quotes here because that's something that we get a little bit of in the novel. But what is it? How does this fit in with this kind of standard idea of what ladies of this class are doing in this era? Yeah, you're absolutely right. But needlework is is a, a kind of it's one of the standard accomplishments, upper middle middling class, upper middling class and more aristocratic women are just supposed to be able to do in this period. And not only women actually from those classes, I mean more generally, you know, one of the things that unites women across all classes really in this period is the fact that they're all expected to be able to pick up a needle and, and do what they need to do with it. Um, but of course, what they need to do with it depends very much on who they are and where they fit in the social scale. So women who are from the labouring classes or working women, you know, they might sew for their work, 
or they might flow because they have to repair stuff in their house because they have to look after the clothes and the linen and so forth that they have in their home. But for middle and middling class women, it's absolutely not about work. It's about leisure. And it very much folded into this hotly debated expectation of the time that women should be accomplished. And accomplishments en- encompass a whole range of activities. So it's also dancing, it's, it's languages, it's potentially drawing and music and other things. But needlework is absolutely central to this. And particularly, finely worked needlework is, is very, very important. And it's important that kind of at all stages in a, in a female life cycle. So young girls would have been taught to sew at a very young age, you know, kind of five or six, around the same time that they're learning to write with a pen. They might be stitching letters on a sampler. They might even stitch them first before they even pick up a pen, right? And then, you know, as they, as they get older, they might, you so that's kind of expectation of what they might learn at a very young age. As they get older, it becomes a kind of, well, in, in some cases, a kind of desirable quality for a woman to have in, you know, as, as a potential wife. So, there, you know, it becomes something that women are expected to do because it becomes a kind of sign of their care for their home, their kind of modesty, their neatness. So the kind of the, the activity of stitching becomes a kind of metaphor. It's in many cases for women's personality. If you if you're, if you're neat and, and you're precise and you're careful and you're disciplined and and you can sort of regulate yourself and you can show that in the neatness of your stitching, then that reflects on you as a person. Somebody who has a lot to say about that in this period is is Fordyce, and of course you know James Fordyce is one of the young women. Oh, shocker. Yeah, I mean, you know, with Lydia's, like, Lydia's having none of Fordyce's sermons, possibly because he spends an awful lot of time saying, you know, it's natural for women to sew and they need to do it. And if they want to show their virtue, you know, idle hands are a very bad thing as far as he's concerned. Uh-huh. Women, women do not have, they need to be occupied. Their leisure time needs to be, you know, monitored and regulated and filled with appropriate activities. And so, yes, be good with your needles and then we'll call you accomplished and then men will want to marry you. And then when you have your marital home, you'll be able to run it very well because you can, you, can, you can run it with the same industry and, and carefulness and eye to detail that you would if you were so. So, yeah, it's, it's very, very important. And it, and it is something that is taught in the kind of schools where families were promised that the, the young the, their daughters who they sent to them would be would be taught, you know, appropriate accomplishments. So they'd learn languages, they'd learn a little bit about geography and, and spelling and, and music, and they'd be taught to sew because that's part of the kind of the education and accomplishments that were considered standard really for middle class women in this period. So interesting, that idea of it's it's like a it's part of your resume for applying for the job of wife, basically. Yeah, it's like your portfolio piece where you're like, please inspect my lovely needlework to know that I will be a capable housekeeper. Who would have thought those things were so overtly related? Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, there are some novels sort of, you know, a bit earlier than Jane Austen, but by writers that she would have known and she would have liked where you have these really peculiar things where men look at women's needlework. And sort of decide whether or you know, kind of almost not exactly fall in love with them through their needlework, but make kind of crucial life decisions <laughs> based on what they see. You know, it's a kind of it's it's the sort of symbol for in this in the literature of the period, a kind of shorthand for not just the woman's accomplishments, but their virtue and their, their character as well, which is quite a terrifying thought, really. Given 
yeah. <laughs> you know, given how hard needle work can be, right? <laughs> and was this like very much a, a gendered activity during this time? So something that would have only been taught to young girls? Yeah, I mean, for, fan- for sort of decorative, fancy, work, ornamental needlework, that, I mean, there are men who, who prof- professionally, you know, were, were working with silks and were embroidering women's clothing and men's clothing in this period. I mean, it, it, it is a trade which is becoming increasingly associated with women sort of by the time Jane Austen is, is writing. But there are many men who, who were very accomplished in embroidery, designing needlework patterns and so forth. And there are many other men who can sew either because they need to for the other kinds of work, like tailoring. And there are men who do things. I mean, one example in Jane Austen is of a man who does needlework, and that's Captain Harville. And he's just very good at his hands, but he, you know, he makes those nets, right? And so for men and women, that kind of needlework, which we label netting, for women, that's often associated with, you know, making your purses and your reticules. Whereas for men, they might do the same activity, but in, in the case of Captain Harville, these are more kind of beautiful nets, you know, the kind of nets that you would, you would make for not a fashionable or decorative purpose, but because you need a net for an activity that men would engage in, like dressing, for instance. So, um, yeah, it is a, it's a highly gendered activity. Well, and something, and something else that you mentioned earlier that kind of caught my attention too is this use of needlework to keep women occupied. The fact that downtime is not actually ever allowed to be downtime. Um, and this idea of women not being able to kind of stop with their accomplishments is very interesting. Is, there, is, is that kind of built into what needlework is trying to do? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it is very much, well, certainly the kind of conduct book version of needlework, the kind of sort of sentiments you get from people like Jane Fordyce and Rousseau and others is, you know, it's really important women do this, not only because they're naturally good at it because they're women and they just sort of assume there's a natural correlation between, well, you're a woman, therefore you must be able to do this. But it is very much about policing leisure time, essentially, and making sure that women are appropriately occupied because if they're not, good Lord, you know. You know, they might they might read or get like ideas about progress or something horrible. <laughs> exactly. If, you, if you're not doing needlework as a woman with all this supposed leisure time, when you have servants to do lots of the things in the household that you might manage, you know, what, what could women be doing if they weren't doing, if they weren't engaged in these activities, particularly needlework, but other accomplishments as well? There's a real anxiety about that. And, and your point about reading is, is a terrific one because when I said earlier about, you know, accomplishments is a, is a sort of much debated question in this period. One of the major sources of contention around this is from women in particular who are quite rightly concerned about okay but if women are being told they have to just engage in in this kind of you know monotonous pursuit and populate their day with hours and hours of doing this kind of needlework but for what really i mean like what's the end goal here what what are they not being allowed to do and so for people like mary wollstonecraft for instance who writes a fabulous book in 1792 called a vindication of the rights of women, making women do needlework is all about trying to keep their hands busy at the expense of their head. This idea that women are all, women are kind of like needlework themselves, you know, they're all about decoration and surfaces and prettiness. And it just turns women, you know, in, in Wollstonecraft's sort of view on this issue into sort of vacuous human beings, you know, and that, who are denied a kind of fundamental right to 
intellectual activities is, you know, they need to be able to put their hands at rest and start to occupy their mind. So you've talked about this a little bit already, but I am just so curious about the differences in the type of needlework that would have been done based off of class and wealth. So you mentioned that for a lot of women, like this is part of their job, right? If you are, you know, a servant in a household, you're sewing, you're doing a lot of that kind of plain sewing. So for like aristocratic women of this time, would they have also been taught that kind of plain sewing or would they have gone straight to just like, you only do the fancy work because you will never need to darn a sock? What, what were the kind of differences and expectation or, or was it seen even for those women, you all need this foundation? You know, I'm, I'm just kind of curious about how needlework was perceived during this time, like the difference between it being work, craft and art, all of that. Right. Yeah, that's that's such an interesting and important topic. I mean, in terms of the, to start with the, the kind of the class issues, I mean, you know, Lady Catherine de Bourgh does not need to know how to be playing sewing. Like, it's not, it's not a required skill set for her at all. However, one of the things that is important as a kind of, well, manager, I guess, of, of a household in this period is you have to be, you have to be able to tell whether your servants are doing it properly or not. So there is a kind of, there's a sort of, presumed literacy around all aspects of sewing, even for very titled aristocratic women, they, they do sort of need to know this. For people like Jane Austen, middling class, it's absolutely the case that you need to know you need to know both. You need to know how to do the plain sewing and you need to know how to be able to do the decorative sewing as well. But in terms of the that, that sort of the status, if you like, of different kinds of needlework, I mean, you're absolutely right to suggest that there's lots of different ways that it was thought about at the time. In terms of the arts and craft question, like is needlework an art? Is it a craft? Which, to be honest, is still a conversation that is carried on very much today, right? That's a really interesting one for me. What's very clear is needlework is not art in this period. It's it's almost defined by the fact that it is not art. Okay. And of course, that's partly because it's something mainly women do. I mean, not that there aren't women artists in this period. Of course, there are, but you know that needlework is definitely not an art in that sense. And there, are, I guess, there are a couple of exceptions. There are some women who very, in this period, that you know, the period that Jane Austen was writing in, who very much wanted to argue that or demonstrate through their own sewing that needlework could be art. And so, I'm thinking, for instance, of a fantastically wonderful woman called Mary Linwood, who used to do incredible portraits in silk wow so like way above charlotte palmer and sensibility with her silk pictures this is somebody who could take fine art portraits you know of people like you know the, the monarch you know she, <laughs> she was very very ambitious and realized them in silk shading effectively and she had exhibits and she and she was much celebrated and was through her work was making the case that needlework could be a form of art but she's really an exception nobody more generally is kind of Buying that, and indeed, although Mary Linwood's work was very much admired, people were very reluctant to think about needlework as a form of art. But weirdly, it's also not exact craft, which is a word we use, you know, very freely to talk about needlework today. Craft is not really a word that, I mean, it's, it's a word that exists at the time, obviously, but it's not one that's often used to talk about needlework, bizarrely. That's really interesting, that distinction of like, it's craft, but it's not art that they were so insistent on that. Yeah, absolutely. 
well, so you know, it's kind of needlework very much has its sort of place in the world. It's it's both it's something which is required of women, as we've been saying, and and it's sort of essential. But it doesn't have that sort of high status. It's just kind of part of the package of womanhood, really, in in this period. And the, and the other thing is, of course, it's work, and that's the shorthand for needlework in this period. Right. So almost any 18th or 19th century novel that you read where a heroine is at work or gets out their work, they're not work. I mean, they're not working, working in that sense. They, they are doing needlework. But it's also not, it's not seen as work for people like Lizzie Bennett, for instance, or, you know, Charlotte Lucas, who also does some needlework in the novel. This is, this is for them, paradoxically, like needlework is work which is all about leisure. Like it's only something you can yeah. do. The kind of needlework they do is work that you can only do if you're a woman who has some leisure. Yeah. It's a pastime for them specifically. Right. Yeah. It's very much the difference between like in Mansfield Park, the sort of needlework that you see Lady Bertram working on right, versus when Fanny goes home to Portsmouth and now she's having to actually help out getting the clothes ready for her brother to go to sea. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, Lady Bertram with her, with her needlework's no beauty and little use. I mean, it's just like the only two, the only two reasons she's doing needlework is for it to be either useful or beautiful and she can't, she can't hit she either, do either of those. Right? It's so good. I love, I love that. Like just, Austin with her pure little smart snark there. And just, yeah, <laughs> Lady Bertram. Incompetent at a, everything. At everything. <laughs> she should be, if she's doing anything, she should be like netting some little collars for Pug. You know, just <laughs> some little little accessories and, and sweaters for Pug to wear. Yes, yes. She should, she should be doing Pug accessories. I agree. Absolutely. I think we should just go like, you know, try and make some and put them on Etsy right now. I mean, can you imagine? People would just love those. They'd be, that, that would be awesome. We could do some like agency style pub colors. I'm, I'm, t- I'm totally into that. That sounds like a wonderful thing to do. That's your next book project, Jenny. Yeah, sure. I, I'm totally up to that. I love it. <laughs> well, so you had mentioned earlier this idea that work, that, that this needlework is also something like a CV for for ladies. And I think it's really interesting that one of the last mentions that we get of of work from ladies in Pride and Prejudice is actually the evening that Mr. Darcy has decided to ask Mr. Bennett for his blessing so that they can get married. Um, and he's kind of using it as a screen to talk to Lizzie. So So this is a passage from the book, and it says, in a few minutes, he approached the table where she was sitting with Kitty. And, while pretending to admire her work, said in a whisper, Go to your father. He wants you in the library. She was gone directly. Ooh, intrigue! Intrigue, exactly! (laughs) So good. But I love that he uses needlework, that Austin creates that scene with needlework as a central kind of part of this moment. Why do you think Lizzie is so often correlated with needlework in this novel? Why, and why do you think it's used particularly in this absolutely adorable scene? So I think, I mean, this is just, just such a lovely scene in the novel, isn't it? And it's, it's one of several moments, I guess, where, well, in Jane Austen's novels more generally, where she uses needlework as a way to create, well, firstly, to create a kind of intimacy, because if you're going to look at someone's needlework, you have to get quite close to the needlework. So it gives a kind of uh, a pretext for proximity and a kind of intimacy that's really quite touching in this scene. It's really quite an adorable, sweet moment, isn't it? That he uses this as a way to get close to her and say, 
or now you can go and see your father, which is really lovely. And you know, there are other there are other moments I think in in Austin's novels where working on something and then having somebody kind of look over your shoulder or come and talk to you is is a kind of important moment. So I think that's that's one of the reasons why she's doing it here. I mean, I think the other thing, if we sort of think about this particular moment in the novel and compare it to the moment we started thinking about earlier, I guess one of the other ways that she uses needlework, in Pride and Prejudice anyway, she uses it differently in other novels too, is it sort of creates, well, it allows it, it's another way that we get to kind of access Liggy's thoughts and observations and in a way that doesn't rely on, you know, kind of, free and direct discourse or like, you know, the things she's thinking at the time, it just provides a kind of, again, a kind of context or a pretext for her to be observing what's going on. And so it's one of those moments where we get to sort of see things through her eyes, in this case, you know, Darcy and Caroline Bingley. Um, and that wonderful episode is sort of couched in, the, in, in a way so we not only see what's happening, but we kind of see it through Lizzie's eyes as well. So that's quite a, a common Technique, I would say, in Jane Austen's novels more generally, she often she often has moments where characters are working on something, and she uses it either as a way of kind of giving us some kind of access to the inner workings of the, the mind of a character. So there's all sorts of clever, clever ways I think that Jane Austen uses needlework to, you know, give us these wonderful moments of insight into dynamics between characters, into the workings of a character's mind, or particularly their emotions. The same, same with Fanny Price. There's lots of moments in Mansfield Park where you really get that sense of what she's thinking through what she's doing. And I love the way that you described that as almost like an anchor to the moment, that there's a physical, tangible moment that's occurring, but that the, that the needlework is anchoring that moment for these heroines. Yeah. The scene that we get here in Pride and Prejudice with Darcy, it's also that the use of her needlework is, it is such kind of like a full circle, right? From yes. going from them being a little bit more antagonistic at the beginning of the novel to this end where who would have ever predicted that Darcy would just sort of casually come over to admire her needlework? Right. Any woman's needlework, right? Yeah. If people were already suspicious that there was something going on here, you know, <laughs> maybe maybe Kitty's not picking up on it, but you can guarantee that if Charlotte Lucas were in the room while this was happening, she'd be like, oh, okay. Clearly he's into you. <laughs> I see what's happening. Yes. Yeah. Obviously, he's interested. Well, I think I think it's fun too that you know we have this idea of Lizzie being kind of she's she's our bright, sparkling heroine from from Austin, and is a very active heroine as well. And so it's interesting that she is so clearly also attached in Austin's text to needlework. I just I just think it's very interesting the way that those are kind of almost counterpoints in her character. Right. Yeah. Because if you sort of were inclined to think along the lines that Mary Wollstonecraft did and many other women right, of that day did, which is, you know, women should be able to put down their hoops and their sewing and actually, you know, read books and exercise their minds. We often assume that there is this kind of inherent tension, right, between intellectual work and needlework and that, you know, you can, you can cultivate your mind or you just busy your hands. And my sense of Jane Austen and Lizzie Bennett is a prime example, I think, of for our argument, really, is that for her, those things were not incompatible at all. You know, Joan Austen herself was a very accomplished stitcher. She was really good at it. You know, her nephew, James Edward Austen Lee, says in his biography design, you know, if she'd lived to see sewing machines, I mean, she'd have put them, as he says, to shame. She was excellent at satin stitch. She was really good at all this stuff. And we, and we know that she won't just have to, you know, accept that, you know, the nephew was correct because we know this because she, 
behind, not many, but a few needleworks that we can look at and see just how good she was at this stuff. And, you know, for her, and I think we see this not just in her in her practice and in her letters where she sort of moves between sewing and talking about the book she's writing and the book she's reading, and it's all part of a continuum of activity for her. But we see it in her novels as well. We see characters working on their needle, but they're really, they're feeling and thinking in really complex, nuanced, sophisticated yeah. ways. And they're moving between these activities. And for somebody like Lizzie Bennett or Fanny Price, you know, these are all heroines who are very good at their needlework. And they're not like Lady Bertram or Julia Bertram because she makes a horrible stool and it's so terrible it gets shoved in the <laughs> eastern because no one can bear to look at it. You know, bad needlewomen in Jane Austen generally are not they're not the shining examples of womanhood we might, you know, connect with as readers. Uh, whereas Lizzie Bennett, Fanny Price, Eleanor Dashwood, you know, these these are women who are very good with their hands and they have very cultivated minds at the same time. Yeah. And that's something that I, you know, not wanting to just read the novels as if like was Elizabeth Bennett is clearly not Jane Austen, right? But one thing they have in common for sure is this sense that you know you can have a bright mind and, and, and an agile mind. And be emotionally literate and clever, and also be materially literate yeah. and be able to stitch and sew and be accomplished in in a proper sense, not just sort of in the way that Darcy satirizes in the novel when he says, "Oh, you know, all these accomplished women and they can just net purses." You know, I, I want a woman who's more than that. And Lizzie is that, right? She can she can do all that. Yeah, she's the whole package. Indeed, <laughs> yeah. Well, Jenny, thank you so, so much for coming on and talking to us about needlework and stitching and all these fun things. It's a topic that I'm very interested in. I'm not going to call myself an accomplished needlewoman, but, you know, I do like to do a bit of embroidery now and then. I've never had the experience of my husband has never come over to admire my work as Darcy does. So <laughs> I might need to I might need to work on that. But where can our listeners find you online and follow along with all of your various projects? Okay, well, so I'm pretty active on Instagram and I'm on Facebook as the Ladies Magazine Project, which is, as mentioned earlier, it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful magazine. It was a magazine during Austin Red as well, and which had lots of, amongst many other things, had lots of needlework patterns in it. So if you look up the Ladies Magazine project, you'll find it on Twitter, you'll find it on Facebook, and you'll find all things Regency, Women's Magazines, Jane Austen in those places. I'm on Instagram as, as Bachelor Jenny. I, I don't know why I'm Bachelor Jenny on Instagram. I just obviously forgot which way around my name went <laughs> when I signed up many years ago. Who knows? And I've also become a recent convert to Mastodon, so I'm on there too. I have a website and the website links to various projects I've got going on at the moment. So if you're interested in needlework, I have a, a site which I'm building up called Patterns of Perfection, uh, where I'm cataloguing and collecting Regency, well, an 18th and early 19th century embroidery and, and other kind of needlework patterns, particularly from the ladies' magazine, but also from other periodicals of the day, like the Bunsenblay and Eckerman's Repository and the New Ladies' magazine. I've got a couple of hundred on there now and I have many hundreds to go. I've been searching out for them for about 20 years now and I've managed to get loads and loads but I'm really thrilled about that. One of the terrific things about the, the website that I've set up with the patterns on is that it means that people go away and, and make these designs now. So one of the things you'll see me do a lot on social media is just write in absolute awe and share gorgeous pictures of the amazing things people are doing with these patterns whether they're trying to 
faithfully reproduce them, whether they're doing something quite innovative and modern with them or doing other materials. But it's just wonderful to see them come to life again, you know, especially from this publication that, as I said earlier, you know, we, we know Jane Austen read. So, yeah, I'm, I'm on social media talking a lot about all those things and about women's work in this period more generally, you know, all kinds of women's work and, and women's history. And, and that's on your personal website? So it's on my personal website, which is jennybatchelor.net, and that will give you links to Catherine's website. I've also got another one, which is a wonderful student project I've been working on around Regency clothing, um, which I've been working with a bunch of amazingly talented students at my university, the University of Kent, where we've been uploading fashion plates and making them text searchable. Oh, fun. Yeah. If you really want to think deeply about, you know, like, the length of pleases and the difference between different collars and cuffs and the different fabric boots and gloves and things we make them. Oh, we, 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 we've been working on that and that site's expanding all the time. So yeah, we hope it's a wonderful resource because, you know, tracking for images is really hard with words. Yeah, that's a huge project. So putting, putting the words in behind the images is something I'm really committed to doing so people can use this stuff and, and we can all learn. Excellent. That's great. Well, Jenny, thank you so, so much for taking the time out of your day to talk to us about needlework. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a complete pleasure. Thank you again to Dr. Jenny Batchelor for joining us for this episode. You can find us on Instagram at The Thing About Austin and on Twitter at Austin underscore things. You can also check out our website thethingaboutaustin.com and email us at thethingaboutaustin at gmail.com. And stay tuned for next episode where we will be talking about the Irish car party in Emma. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.